Welcome to another Students Talk Security podcast episode. My name is Matthew Carranza, and I'll be your host for today. Today, we will be discussing what role should the U.S. military have in settling international disputes. My guest today will be the distinguished Major Mike Morell. Major Morell enlisted in the Army in 2003, and after four years of service, he attended officer candidate school at Fort Benning, where he commissioned as a military intelligence officer in 2008. He has served in several leadership roles, including Battalion S2 for the 95th Military Police Battalion in Mannheim, Germany, was the company commander with Division West First Army, and was a strategic planner for J2 at U.S. Southern Command. His awards and decorations include, but are not limited to, the Meritorious Service Medal, Joint Commendation Medal, Army Commendation Medal with two bronze oak leaf and Army Achievement Medal with bronze oak leaf. He has a bachelor's degree in history from Excelsior College and a master's degree in military arts and science from the Air University. He is currently in his second year as assistant professor of military science in Notre Dame's Army ROTC program. I would also like to note that any opinions that Major Morell expresses today are completely his own and do not reflect those of the U.S. Army. Major Morell, welcome and thank you. Thank you for coming today. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, so you've you've been in the Army for about 17 years um, and have had a very distinguished career. Um, can you describe some of your employments and what the role that your units played in each community? Well, yeah, I, um, I mean, I'm an Intel officer by trade. So a lot of the jobs that I have are, um, uh, like the S2 or is an Intel position, um, for a unit. I was a battalion S2 or Intel officer. Um, but, uh, for the communities, as far as <clears throat> what you're uh, discussing, uh, are you talking more about deployments? Yeah, sorry, deployments. Yeah, I, I misspoke. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I've, I've deployed to Afghanistan twice, uh, once as an enlisted officer or as an enlisted soldier and once as an officer. Um, and uh, yeah, the, when I was on the enlisted side of the house, I really didn't interact with the community that much. Uh, most of what I did were, were inside the uh, forward operating bases. Uh, we, we did travel around a bit, but we really weren't outside of the wire, as we like to call it very often. Uh, my second deployment, though, we, we were uh, the unit I was with. We uh, we had the mission of training the Afghan uh, uniform police, and so we, we were embedded with uh, police units, and we were we were teaching them. And it was a military police unit that I was with, and so they were trying to train them in some of American military police way of uh, operating themselves. Awesome. Um, when what. Uh... During those kinds of deployments, um, especially uh, when with the Afghan army, um, when you had to work closely with um, with soldiers from from foreign ter- from foreign nations, um, what kind of relationship did your unit have with the local, or did what kind of relationship did you guys have with them? Was it difficult to work with them? Um, no, for the most part, uh, my my experience. Now, this is just my you know my opinion on things. Uh, not not you know not necessarily the army's opinion on it, but um, we, we had a really good working relationship with our Afghan counterparts, the police, they, they, they were really eager to learn from us. Um, 
Um, some of the local population, when we would go out and about, you know, there's some certain areas, they were really, you know, they would embrace us pretty well. And, and others, I wouldn't call it hostile. I don't know if that's the right term to use, but mm -hmm. it definitely didn't have the same welcoming feel um, that some other places had. But as far as who we were actually partnered with and who we were trying to build their um, abilities and their capacity, um, they were they were very eager to have us there. They were very happy to have us there, and they showed us all kinds of courtesy. That's awesome. Um, like when you were working with them, um, like do you, like you said they're very uh, they were very welcoming. Do you do you think there was a reason why they they welcomed you in? It was um or like the difference between how the military kind of accepted you and then the local population? They were a little bit more standoffish. Well, I mean, looking from a historical perspective of the area of Afghanistan, the, the, the area has been invaded so many times throughout history. So I think a lot of the population, they're under the pretense that if there's foreigners in there, we're, that they're here to um, conquer them. And um, that's not why we were there, but that's why you have some of that, uh, you might have some of that standoff attitude. Some is, I, I think some, it was out of fear. When I was there, uh, the, you know, the the, uh, the Taliban and some of those uh, other, uh, the Haqqani network, uh, other uh, insurgent cells, they, they, they absolutely had control in certain areas. And so it might have been out of fear that some of the local population would not really want to uh, interact with us, at least not outwardly. Um, but... Um, the people we were partnered with, they definitely, I think the reason they showed such appreciation for what we were doing is, is that they'd struggled throughout the 90s when, you know, when the Taliban had ran uh, after the Soviets withdrew from Afghanistan, you know, at the end of the 1980s. And then the Taliban rose to power in the middle of the 90s. A lot of the people that um, served in these Afghan police units um, they were against the Taliban and they, the Taliban ruled with an iron fist during those 90s and they, they really wanted, they welcomed our assistance and our, our help because we are good at what we do. Um, so that kind of leads into the next question. Um, like how, how do you think the environment would have been um, had the U.S. military forces not been stationed in the area? Do you think it would have been, um, I don't know, a lot a more, more chaotic, I guess, in the area? You had some extremism in there, and I, I think it's one of the areas. I mean, the the it probably would have reverted to the way it was uh, back in the '90s. Uh, the, the Taliban, especially with the financing they got from outside sources, uh, they they definitely had a uh, they they had a violent approach, but they were able to control the area. And I, I think you would have seen a very similar environment to what Afghanistan was like before 9/11, uh, if we had not been there. Um, we, we, we still have people over there today just monitoring things and we, we're trying to build their capacity to, you know, govern themselves. Um, but uh, if we had not come in and intervened, I don't know if they would have been able to stand up on their own at that point anyway. Gotcha. Um, so that also leads into our next question. Um, how successful do you think the military is like in stabilizing areas um, without strong governments? Um, and what kind of problems do you think arise uh, from the military when they like? What, what, oh, sorry, um, what kind of problems do you think the military faces um, when uh, trying to stabilize areas without uh, strong necessarily strong governments? 
I don't know if I'm necessarily the right person to answer these questions. Usually the policymakers are the ones that answer this type of question. But I mean, so th this is my opinion. Um, I, I think we are very good. At, um, I mean, I, I've seen firsthand my two deployments to Afghanistan, how we, we were able to really, you know, help them in that unstable environment and um, bring some stability to it. Um, as far as... Um, uh, what kind of problems arise with it? I, I mean, I think I've covered a few of them. I, uh, there's a perception that we're there to conquer, and we, we as United States military, we, we don't want to conquer anybody. We, you know, um, uh, we're we're there to build stability and to to build the you know so that the world can thrive. And uh, we're we're not there to you know we didn't invade. Afghanistan to make it a state. We, we, we went into Afghanistan to uh, stabilize their government because the government that was the Taliban, they, they were the ones that um, they, they, they provided support to Al-Qaeda who carried out the 9-11 attacks. That's the main reason that we went in there. So uh, we, we, have no, we have no desires to conquer, but I think it's, it's in the nature of a human being that if this is your home and you know, outside people are coming in, there's this level of fear that uh, the, this invading force is here to conquer us and to you know change change things, and that's that's not what we're there for. So that's definitely an area that, in my opinion, um, it, it it's a it, I don't know if I'd call it a problem, but it's it's an area of tension that we we run into in different areas. But I, I think we're really good at it. Um, we uh, we we. There's a lot of countries in the world that they, they do have unstable governments in uh, the, the U.S. military. We we do what we can where we can, um, and we, we try you know we try to bring a, a more stable world. It's great. Um, like during so you talked a lot about um, the the problems that are like um, you talked a lot about how the U.S. military. Um, faces the stigma um, of being a conquering nation, um, but that's but you're saying that's really not what we're trying to do. Um, is there anything like in within with the local population who, as you, as you said, um, has was more standoffish or more unsure about your um, about your occupation there? Uh, was there anything that you guys tried to do um, to try to calm their fears and be like, hey, like? We're, we're not trying to take over you guys. We're just trying to help. Like, was there, I don't know. I'm just curious about that. Well, there's, there's always the communication. We're always trying to communicate. I mean, a lot of times when, you know, units would be out and about, they would communicate with the elders of the villages that they're in. And you have, you have a lot of tribal culture there. So you try to, you try to find the heads of those tribes and uh, let them know that, you know, what our intent is. And um, I will tell you that you, so, um, when you, when you bring your interpreter along, because I mean, they, they, most of them speak either uh, um, Pashtun or Dari, which, uh, you know, I, I don't speak any of that. So I, I rely heavily on interpreters and you, you'd hear stories and some people were real welcoming to the way we were because they, some of these individuals, they remember Afghanistan before the Soviet Union, you know, back in the, you know, in the 60s and the 70s before, you know, um, before the commun you know the communist governments tried to take it over and before all the the wars started but you know in, from 1979 to 1989 and they they you know they would they would 
outwardly tell you about, you know, dreaming of it moving back to that, that time. And that's, those are the ones that would embrace us. Um, I don't know if that answers your question, but. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think so. Um, well, I, within the population, like, um, yeah, as you said, there's obviously some people who are very supportive of your side, of our side. Um, is there, did you ever come across anybody that was, um, openly hostile and didn't, didn't want you guys there at all or like anything like that? Or is that kind of just the opposing forces that you would run into? You hear stories about that. Um, I personally was never in a village that we were just like, that there was this pure hostility. I mean, there, there are attacks that happen and it's not necessarily the villagers that are doing it. You know, sometimes, you know, that, you know, there'll be mortar attacks on your, your bases and, you know, IED bombs that go off. And, um, but I, I never experienced in my time and I, I spent a lot of time, uh, you know, dealing with local population with those, with the Afghan police that was embedded with. And it could have been that they just set us, you know, that the Afghans, you know, went and brought us two people that they knew would be, um, friendlier towards us, but everybody that I spoke to, they, they, of everybody I spoke to, I never had anybody that was just openly hostile. Awesome. Well, yeah, that's great. Um, well, I'm going to shift a little bit more towards your, um, historical background, um, or history education. Um, so one thing, uh, I, I kind of wanted to get your perspective on is, um, are you ever concerned that the, the U.S. might be spreading um, its forces across too many regions, um, either during during your experience in the Army or, or throughout history in general? Like, you can yeah, draw upon anything. Well, I, I mean, I think history shows that, I mean, there's a lot of historical examples of great armies of the past that spread themselves out too thin, and it ended up being their demise. I mean, you think about Napoleon's armies moving into Russia, and they spread themselves out too thick and or, or too thin. And, um, and then of course that playing along with the winners and then the uh, uh, Russians tactics of, uh, but, um, but then there, there's others too, you know, there could be an argument made that uh, Nazi Germany in World War II, they really, you know, over ex- extended their reach. Um, and as the war progressed on, you know, the Nazis were suddenly, they didn't have the, the capable force they had that just absolutely decimated France early in the war. Uh, they they really they really thinned themselves out as they, especially when they they opened up the Eastern Front and invaded the Soviet Union and then um, things like that. So history says you don't want a, a military does not want to spread itself out too thin. I will say though that when I mean when you think about those and you think about technology today, technology makes it a whole lot easier for us to look at different areas of the world and not really spread ourselves out as thin as you think we do. It's like, um, I mean, with email, with the internet, I mean, you, you can make a phone call right now and talk, be talking to somebody who is literally on the other side of the world, whereas in the times of those other examples I gave, there's absolutely, I mean, you, you're talking, you know, weeks, days, uh, days in World War II, maybe uh, we, weeks or even months, you know, to get that kind of um, communication from one area to another. Um, but it's, I, I don't know if you, I, I definitely wouldn't say I'm concerned about it. Um, 
I would say that, you know, like I said, from a historical perspective, and you said you wanted me to talk about, you know, I mean, I, I've got a bachelor's degree in history, so it's by no, no means an expert, but I know a little bit. Historically speaking, yeah, spreading yourself out too thin can be a dangerous thing. Usually that's in a time of, you know, massive global conflict. And I don't know if we're right, if we have massive global conflict right now, not, not in the level that you had in World War II or during Napoleon's time. So, um, yeah, I wouldn't say I'm concerned. I would say that with technology, we're, we're right where we need to be. That's, that's good to hear. Um, so talked a lot, you talked a lot about um, the technology that the U.S. Army uses for communication and to be able to be involved in a lot of uh, different areas without um, necessarily having to send a lot of people um, to one area or the other. Um, how, how much of a role do you think... Um, do you think technology has, has played like in uh, develop continuing to develop the military? And do you how do you see that uh, role happening in the future? It's kind of a broad question, but kind of something I was curious. Well, I will tell you that technology plays a massive role in everything. I mean, we, we you know the army itself has stood up a new branch in my time in it. Uh, the cyber branch did not exist when I first joined the army, but it exists today, and its its sole purpose is to deal with some of the. Uh, you know, the new technology that's become available in the time that um, I've been in. I, I mean, in the time that I've been in the Army, I mean, when I first came in, there were cell phones that people had, but they, they weren't the smartphones that you have today where you can basically get, you know, all kinds of, you know, at, at your, you know, at your fingertip information that you get today. I mean, so those technologies have, you know, been here within my short 17 years that I've been in the Army. Um, so it, we, it's important that we keep up with it because the world is moving to that level. I mean, with, with a lot of the social media that we have today, I mean, you, there are people from all different types of all, all different countries across the world that communicate with each other. And it's important for us to stay up on that because uh, there are hostile groups out there that uh, they, they could form in those types of social media environments and they have. It's important for us to be able to have visibility on that and be caught up on that. And I think that I think the U.S. military has done a really good job of staying ahead of the game when it comes to um, keeping up with the technology and where it's at. Yeah, that's I I, I definitely think that's um, that's a uh, something to think about is um, how technology can not only help us but also it can help um, like. Uh, and uh, enemy forces do you think um like technology will ever get to a point where it's kind of even evened out or do you think you like we should always be trying to innovate to to keep pushing it's kind of well, like think, an arms race of technology i guess yeah no i mean uh, uh, there's always somebody that's trying to develop something new and uh, it, it's 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 never just a one-way street i mean uh, there's like again there's some historical examples of where you know um, you know, uh, different militaries would have technology that gave them a, a decided advantage. You know, I mean, even going as far back as the first time somebody put stirrups on, you know, on a saddle for a horse that gave, you know, a, a, that would give an army an advantage or um, an example with the United States is, I mean, we developed nuclear weapons before anybody else did, which gave us a, a kind of a decisive advantage for several years before um, the Soviet Union developed their own. And then we, we no longer had or the sole owners of that capability. Um, 
I would say also, historically speaking, you look at things, the, the world always tends to have a way of evening out, leveling that playing field out. Uh, you see that a lot in, in history. I mean, the Soviets gaining nuclear weapons is a, is a very good example of it. Um, but throughout history, when somebody develops a new technology, everybody's always trying to you know, get it for themselves so that they, they can use it and level the playing field. So that's always something that's gonna happen. And uh, well, the, as long as we're, uh, as long as we're here as a, as a military, we're gonna always try to be at the forefront of that because it, it does give us, um, gives us the ability to, you know, to not be trying to catch up with somebody else. And so that we have, we have that advantage when it comes to taking care of conflicts when they come up. Thank you. Um, well, we are um, running uh, lower on time, but um, is there any anything else um, that, that you'd like to um, bring up or, or mention uh, that pertains to the U.S. military and um, working in inter like settling international disputes or anything like that? I can say this about my time in the army. I, I it's um, I absolutely love being in the army. I, I've been, I didn't think I would want to be in the army when I first came in and I, it's, it's absolutely become a career that I absolutely love. And, uh, I, I completely, be I believe in everything that we do. Um, when it comes to what we do in the world, I have seen firsthand how we've helped in certain areas. And I think that's absolutely uh, important. Um, and, uh, I know it's, 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 it's an organization that I'm proud to be a part of. And I, and the work that I've seen us do is, good work that it's making the world a better place all right, all right. well um i'd like to thank major morell again for for his time and um for all of his insight in uh in in all and answering all of these questions um and uh, i can say firsthand he's doing a great job as a assistant professor of military science in nerdium's army rtc program um so uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, you can listen to more episodes through through our SoundCloud page. Um, and have a great rest of your day. We look forward to, to to look forward to future episodes. Thank you. If you'd like to follow the Notre Dame International Security Center seminar series, please visit our website at politicalscience.nd.edu/forward/slash n-d-i-s-c forward slash or follow us on twitter at hashtag n-d underscore i-s-c please note that opinions expressed in the seminar series are solely those of the participants or speakers not of the international security center or the university of notre dame which take no institutional position music for this podcast is licensed under sample swap